Hello and welcome to What the Focaccia with me, Nikki Webster. And me, Bettina Campolucci-Bordi. This is our podcast for foodies everywhere and we're joined by a special guest each week to share food stories and talk all about our passion for the things we eat. And I must say a big thank you to Islands Chocolate who very kindly sponsor the series. They're a small British business bringing you the finest and tastiest multi-purpose chocolate directly from the family-owned farms in St Vincent in the Caribbean. So they can rightly shout about being sustainable, ethical and the only seed, not bean, to bar chocolate. Plus, they produce multi-purpose chocolate. It's brilliant for cooking and it's the choice of many Michelin-starred chefs and we use it in our recipes as well. We love it. It's such a good chocolate to eat and to cook with. And you, our lovely listeners, can get 15% off anything you order on the website, which is islandschocolate.com by using the codes islandswtf, that's islandswtf, all uppercase, at the checkout. And you can follow them on Instagram at Islands Chocolate. So let's meet this week's guest. So today's lovely guest is the amazing Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist specializing in weight management, disordered eating, pre and postnatal nutrition and sports nutrition. She has an absolute wealth of experience ranging from working with Olympic athletes, pop stars and professional footballers with food and fitness working hand in hand to keep them in peak condition and performing at the highest level. As an avid foodie and prolific recipe developer, she experiments with colourful ingredients working with the MasterChef team and is responsible for developing menus at some of London's most celebrated healthy eateries. Additionally, her experience working alongside cardiologists and general practitioners at NHS hospitals has seen her demonstrate the influence nutrition has in metabolic syndrome and recovery. And also as a new mum, She's now helping many families and those trying to conceive inside her clinic, focusing on the importance of pre and postnatal nutrition and how that can change lives for the better. Rhiannon, it's so lovely to have you here today. Welcome. Wow, I do. I didn't expect such a lovely, like you've done all your research. You've got a full, fully blown bio there. Thank you for having me. <laughs> was it correct though? That's just a check. I was feeling a bit embarrassed. I was like, oh, you know, I don't just mind being called a nutritionist and then we can crack straight on. You know, I felt kind of like, <laughs> you got it all right though. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm so pleased. Well, it sounds amazing. I mean, it's very impressive. Thank you. It's been, um, well, I, I guess I'm, I'm still still going in my line of work, but it, yeah, I've had I've had a very eventful um, eventful few years. How are you doing? How are you? Oh, there's the golden question. Um, how are you? The easy answer is yeah, I'm good, thank you. But I think yeah, reality is that now I think we're recording this at a time when lockdown measures in the UK are lifting a bit, and my diary suddenly has exploded in terms of work commitments, and I think everybody's feeling it, aren't they? Oh my goodness, yeah, and I think that you know. Every- Everyone's got slightly used to the, the somewhat slower pace. Yes. And um, I mean, it is amazing that things are opening up and, and, you know, things are starting again. But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shock as well. How complete shock to the system. I feel like my voice isn't used to it. I um, I don't think I'm used to doing so much small talk and socialising that I even lost my voice a few weeks ago because I hadn't spoken to so many people in such a long time. It's crazy. And you also get a bit of overwhelm. Yeah, and you lose your, your, and you lose your vocabulary, I find. Uh, I can't find my words because I've got an 
eight-year-old. So I'm, it's sort of you speak of the same things all day long and you're like, oh my gosh, what's the name of that? Yeah, I mean, my, my son's 13 months now and I'm, I'm still on the baba, dada, trying to get my son to say mama phase. So, you know, my vocab doesn't say much for me, does it? <laughs> it's completely understandable though. So I've given you a, a, an intro, but... How would you actually describe yourself? I mean, you know, you've got a you know huge wealth of experience, but on a sort of you know day to day basis, what what are you up to? Gosh, um, well, I, I guess I, I first and foremost, I am a mum, and to me, that that is the best, well, new newest and bestest job I've ever had in my entire life, and probably the most demanding and toughest at the same time. So. Day to day, my life is a juggle. I juggle my business, Retrition. I juggle my clinic. I juggle the written projects, the books I'm working on. And I, I try and be there for my little man. That That's um, my day to day juggling act, which um, I'm sure a lot of listeners can probably relate to. It, it's, it's tough and, and emotionally as well. I find that a huge challenge. I'd much rather be going to the park with him as much as I love my line of work. But, you know, sometimes I've, I've got to work and someone else has to take him. And that's quite heartbreaking. Aww. Yeah. And it's still new, isn't it? So mm. and not things that you necessarily anticipate. Yeah. And I think after the last year, he's a lockdown baby. So he was born April 2020, right in the middle of the first wave. Wow. I, I think it's it's had an impact on my mental health, but equally the fact that we are so close because it was just us, you know, for such a long time. So now I need to navigate how to be me again outside of a global pandemic with a baby. So I'm learning how to be a mum in normal life again a little bit and interweaving myself back into society. So I've kind of had a year of this, I think everybody has, but in a very strange space where I didn't really know who I was as a mother in that environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. It's been a funny old year. And I think anyone that has a child or, or children, is you sort of navigate that space. I, I think it's at least for the first couple of years where you're fully committed to this little amazing human being. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, you lose yourself, which is not necessarily a negative thing. But as time goes by, you sort of find yourself and your space. And yeah, going through that in a pandemic as well is, um, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. I, I think everything you've just said is, is completely, I mean, I've got it all to come. I don't really, I don't really know, I guess. I'm 13 months in, so I'm still, um, still discovering explore, and exploring. But the one positive uh, thing, I mean, is that he got me through a difficult time and it's been an added motivation to work even harder at, at my day job in that sense. And I love what I do. Um, it's I love being a nutritionist. I absolutely adore my job and I feel very, very blessed to have a healthy, happy baby. So that's all I could want, really, I guess. Do you think it's changed your approach to nutrition at all? 150, 200%, however big a percentage I could put on it. Um, it's definitely changed the outlook I had in terms of how I would deal with my clients because you can't relate until you are a parent to those clients that coming that are parents I always knew the juggle was real I always had to try and fit in nutrition around those lifestyles but I think I'm a little bit more understanding now and empathetic than I perhaps was before obviously I tried to be very understanding but there's only a certain amount of trying to being someone else's shoes that you can do as a practitioner and I definitely have a respect for every single parent out there they are superheroes in disguise is is what I like to think yeah I agree um speaking about passions and and what you do why do you think you are so passionate about what you do and when did it all start for you 
nutrition wasn't the plan for me originally. I am a soprano and yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a very weird and wonderful um, separate career that I have to nutrition. The odd gig here and there I still do. But looking back, that was all I ever wanted to do at school. I wasn't interested in science. Gosh, the thought of chemistry just sends shivers down my spine. It really wasn't, um, <laughs> definitely wasn't a passion. And I think from experiencing the music industry at a very young age, I got signed and won a competition and moved up to London when I was in my late teens and um, being told you're going to make it, they're not making it. Then the genre that I was singing wasn't popular. And I fell into nutrition because I was seeking something to do at university, to be honest. All my friends had gone off and that even in college or uni or they were working and I felt like I was in a no man's land. Um, when you're signed, you're just waiting. Like you, you write music constantly and you're just waiting for that moment when they could say, right, here's your showcase, this is what you're going to do. Mm. And I think having no control over your life in that way was really detrimental to my mental health and I decided I need to do something else. And at 21, I was classified as a mature student and I went back to uni. <laughs> and that's, um, I guess... I definitely wasn't mature, but I didn't go to uni to socialise. You know, I worked four jobs and I went there to study purely because that's what I wanted to do. I, you know, I already had my social life outside of university and nutrition genuinely saved my life in that way. I learned about why food was everything and so important and amazing and that it's important to nourish yourself. I guess that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I've seen the destructive impact it can have if it's not done in the right way and it can completely take over people's lives and it doesn't have to be that way. That's such an amazing story and also just fascinating, you know, that one career, even though it's not necessarily, you know, working out can lead to a completely different career. But if it saves your life, that's incredible. That's so powerful. It's only when I get the chance to speak about it, like with you, your lovely selves, that I think, oh, it's a bit random, isn't it? I mean, singing and nutrition are not something I think people would ever really put. In fact, nutrition wasn't even cool back then. All of my friends were like, why are you doing that? Were, <laughs> it was like, I think there were like five courses in the country and everyone was like, Re, are you sure you want to go and study like about food? But I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've always had a huge interest in nutrition and um, sadly I did not have the, the science grades to study nutrition but it was something I wanted to do and actually it's once I wanted to do later I was sort of working in my first career in marketing and I really wanted to but then sort of just to go back and do sort of extra science qualifications to do it and also once you get into yeah. working it was just almost impossible because then I had all the responsibilities and I, so I can't do it mm -hmm. um, but I've always been super fascinated in it but I think and I don't know how you feel that sometimes if you've got like a vested interest or had sort of you know issues, learning about it can be put a part of the healing process. Oh, oh, com completely hands down. I mean, to get me wrong, I, I literally thought I was going to quit. I think I did like two weeks and I remember calling my dad and saying, I can't do this. There's no way I can work this hard to pay for this degree and study this. And I was still singing at that point as well and gigging still under the label. But I remember one monumental moment. I was in a lecture with Professor Simon Dahl. He's an expert in neurodegenerative diseases and omega-3 consumption, so like healthy fats and in the brain, that sort of thing. And I remember him just saying something like, oh, you know, we're not getting enough of this. And if everyone ate, you know, X, Y, Z, we'd have less cases of dementia and things. And it's something that's quite close to my family and heart disease and something that's affected all of my father's side. We've lost everybody young to heart disease as well. And him saying those things just made me think, oh, my goodness, this is like, this is what I, I want to do. It can 
it can change lives. It's when you do that, it, it's quite, um, yeah, it is life changing. Yeah, I think anyone that finds their purpose has that aha moment. I think um, I definitely recognize the aha moment when it comes to cooking. And you, it sort of falls into place and you're like, I'm exactly where I need to be doing exactly what I need to be doing. So I recognize that feeling. So you do nutrition as a job. However, what's your personal approach to health? Is that interlinked? I tend not to really speak about what I do personally, but my approach is definitely that there's a psychological component to health. And it's very, very much intertwined. They work together hand in hand. And my, my approach in, in my clinic especially um, and then when I'm training up any new clinicians that I have working under the nutrition umbrella for me would be to make sure that everybody is able to screen for mental health and to understand the relationships with food. So for myself, I suppose part of my journey was understanding how I viewed food, understanding what made me tick, understanding why I wanted to do what I wanted to do and why I make the choices of food I do. And then you're able to kind of unlock a box almost and look inside and be like, oh, that's why I feel this way. That's okay. I can live with that. And then you're able to move on and do the right thing. It's um, it's kind of a self-discovery journey for the mind just as much as the body. And I'm a big believer that you should be nourishing kind of what you fancy, not just what you should be doing because a book says so, if, if you know what I mean when it comes to nutrition. I've got the facts, but I'd much rather do what makes me happy. Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree with that. And things that are said to be good, <laughs> they might not be good for you, even though, you know, scientifically they're, you know, I don't know, let's take an example like kale. <laughs> the world's gone kale-tastic, hasn't it? <laughs> But some people <laughs> might, um, so for me, for example, cauliflower is not my friend. I just can't digest it properly and it doesn't make me feel great. However, you know, cauliflower is one of those uh, foods that has become increasingly popular and people make, you know, cauliflower pizza bases and cauliflower rice and all sorts of things. Yeah. Sometimes I think people think there's, you know, a miracle cure, this one size fits all um, solution to health. I, my feeling is, my personal belief is that, that there isn't, like Bettina was saying, that everyone's individual. But how do you feel? What do you think? What's your approach to that? Oh, huge sigh of thank you for asking that question. Because <laughs> as a health professional that works with people that have been on diet after diet or have read that there's a one size fits all approach, it can destroy someone's health and their relationship with food. There is no one size fits all. And I think it stems from the fact that it sells, and I know this sounds awful, or on a flip side, there are perhaps scientists and researchers that are really fascinated in their one area that they're looking at to do with perhaps food and um, weight loss. And they've discovered that this one way of eating worked for their sample size of 200 people, and perhaps they had a significantly different, you know, um, result. Then they write books about it and then they publish them and they become huge successes because it's exciting, it's different and it gives hope to people that are vulnerable, it preys on them. And then you get a diet that's created out of that. And unfortunately, 
it just does not work that way. And I have a real problem with these types of diet books that are out there and diets on the internet. And in fact, for my first book, I mean, my publishers were amazing. They wanted me to do a diet plan in Renourish. And I just said, no, you're like, oh, it won't sell as many copies. I was like, well, I can't, it's not ethical. It's just not what registered nutritionists and dietitians do. But it's true, it would have sold a lot more books if it had this amazing seven-day diet that's, I don't know, low-carb or some miracle sell. That's why it happens, because people's intrigue, you know, as a human being, I think you always want to try something new if psychologically it makes you feel like a placebo effect of doing something that can directly impact your health. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think it makes complete sense. And and everyone's wanting that magic thing mm. that's sort of, you know, as easy as possible with the best results, yeah. which sort of logically sort of doesn't really yeah. exist. <laughs> it, exactly. It, it, it doesn't exist. And that's the hardest thing. You know, I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment and that there's such a lack of understanding in mainstream media. Well, everywhere. I think there's a lack of understanding in the entire world when it comes to Um, the Western societies and popular diets, because everybody just thinks as a nutritionist, I'm going to say, well, you eat that, and then you'll be fine. And you might lose weight, or you might feel more, you've got more energy overnight. Mm. It just does not work that way. I think the reason it doesn't have a pickup is because it doesn't sell. Mm. (laughs) So yeah, it's a very ethical solution, but ethical solutions... (laughs) And real ones don't sell newspapers or books or magazines, diets and quick solutions and quick pills do. So until we sort of get over that and have more of you (laughs) in in the world talking about it and everyone listening, the better, I think. It's really difficult as well from my position as a registered nutritionist because it's still currently not a title that's protected in the UK. So technically anyone can do an online course for a week. Yeah. You know, and I have two degrees and I'm a master practitioner and yet anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. That's the tricky thing as well. And I I think the confusion on who to go to for nutritional information doesn't help either. I think we've got a major... um, Maybe there's a systemic issue there as well with the way we look at things in society and the government. And it's tough to break down that misconception around food and pills and miracle things. <laughs> and, and I suppose with so many people offering opinions and offering advice and also potential solutions, you know, ranging from the government to bloggers to, you know, all sorts of health institutions to, you know, research companies, it's, it's just a minefield. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, complete minefield. You can't blame people for, you know, falling into these diet traps because it surrounds everybody. And what's even sadder is that that then is negatively associated with something that may be beneficial. So things like veganism are seen as a trend or a fad, which is not the case. You know, people follow a way of life and they choose that way because it's, you know, ethical for them. It's it's nothing to do with being a fad diet. And that's where the lines get crossed and it, it becomes very sad as well, I think. Yeah, which which leads us to our next question actually, where many people are talking about plant based, aka vegan being the solution to many of the health and environmental issues we face. There are some blurred lines as well. I mean, both Nikki and I see ourselves as recipe developers and we offer options rather than giving out nutritional advice of what you should and shouldn't eat. So it's almost like if you want to have plant-based or if you want to have vegan, then here are some great recipes. However, it's not always the case. 
What do you think about the rise of plant-based and veganism that's happened sort of, I'd say in the last five years, it's really catapulted, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful thing when it's done right. And as a health professional, I have to put whatever personal view or opinion I have aside and think, what can I do that's going to help the general population, you know, a public health kind of message. And we know for a fact that plant-based diets are going to be better for the environment, better for sustainability, better for a whole host of areas, um, longevity of life, reduced risk of cardiovascular disease. But that's down to the fact that we're reducing saturated fat from animal produce, perhaps excess salt. We're also looking at the fact that you need to get the right nutrients. And the problem is veganism and plant-based eating is very confused. So being vegan is different to being plant-based. Plant-based just means technically the technical term is just to reduce animal consumption and to have it well sparingly to be honest and increase your volume of plant-based foods whereas being vegan means completely omitting animal products um, in that way and of course there are lots of other areas of being a vegan as well and I don't think everybody has to go vegan to save the planet but I do think everybody should adopt a plant-based lifestyle if possible and incorporate more plant-based proteins instead of animal proteins at meals because then we'll be getting more fiber we'll be looking after our gut microbiota so the living bacteria in our gut that thrive off fruit vegetables beans pulses all these sorts of different things having more soy instead of animal products in some cases and then just having maybe your portion of oily fish, if you consume fish once a week or instead of every single day, I really think we need to go back to basics and embrace the fact that we are so lucky with the abundant sources to food we have in the UK in the country we're obviously speaking about now, that perhaps we've become a bit too accustomed to that and we need to strip it back a bit and appreciate and respect where our food comes from that's a very um rounded answer i hope um, <laughs> without getting too political there are lots of nutrients for as a nutritionist that you do need to consider like iodine which is important for brain health um thyroid function you've got iron which transports oxygen your blood hemoglobin levels uh, omega-3s protein calcium zinc so so many different nutrients b12 vitamin d to consider but you can get them if you're if you're clever and you know to supplement i think that's really really sensible advice yeah. and you know you can be healthy or unhealthy can't you on any diet you know vegan even plant-based doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be healthy in any way you could be eating all sorts of terrible things and it's still vegan but you know it does give you opportunity if you are really focusing on you know increasing vegetables and pulse and and you know nuts and seeds and grains and sort of eat, doing it really naturally and healthy it's like a fantastically healthy and lovely way to eat yeah um but what I was going to ask you about is how what you feel about, I suppose, quality, but also organic food and whether you think that makes a difference at all. Well, it's like you just said, just to go back to the, the, the vegan thing, you can be a vegan and have chips and a sausage roll, you know, for lunch and you could <laughs> you can have there's some incredible, delicious fast food, plant based um, options now. But it's kind of similar in the organic zone is that organic isn't healthier. There's a big thing of agriculture here and the way we use the land and there's lots of things that are not my domain um, in terms of pesticides and that sort of thing 
Because we know as nutritionists that you just wash your fruit and veg and it's totally safe and perfectly fine to eat. And nutritionally mm-hmm. speaking, there's not much difference between organic or non-organic food in this country yet, just the price bracket. So if you want to buy organic and you can afford to do that, then great, that, that's good, that's good. But equally, if you can't, it doesn't matter, you're still going to get all the nutrition from your food. Just give it a good wash if it needs a wash. And mm. The UK is really good in terms of our food safety but I do know in some countries around the world, I, if I were a nutritionist in another country with different guidelines on how they feed yeah. their plants and their crops and what they do, then perhaps my answer would be different. Really, really interesting. I hope you don't mind. I wanted to, you touched upon this and that's soy. It's got a, <laughs> it's not, it's not always got a great reputation. <laughs> No, it's got a terrible reputation. (laughs) It's got a terrible reputation and you mentioned it and I'm really curious to find out what you think about soy and, you know, tofu products. I've just uh, been filming all day and I made my own tofu and did a lovely recipe with it. So (laughs) speaking of tofu, I wanted to know what you you thought about it and all these bad (laughs) rumours. (laughs) around town about the poor tofu (laughs) (laughs) let's put these rumors down (laughs) (laughs) um homemade soy i am so impressed um see this is the thing that i love about nutrition and actually soy was such an interesting subject to me back at uni i picked soy as one of my first ever assignments to write about because i'd only heard negative things and i remember being quite disappointed that everything i found was positive when i was doing the research and i was like oh right. so it doesn't it doesn't give you man boobs and it's not <laughs> bad for cancer and it doesn't do anything bad It really doesn't. In fact, um, it can reduce breast cancer if consumed from childhood to adolescence onwards, if you have one to two portions a day. Right. It's good for menopause. It can reduce hot flushes in women of menopausal age. It's a brilliant source of protein, contains all the essential amino acids, the same as that that you get in animal produce. You can get fermented tofu. And if if you're buying tofu, um, for anyone that perhaps is looking for their calcium requirements, make sure it's calcium set because that will um, increase the amount there. But oh, that's a good recommendation. Mm. Yeah, make sure you get calcium set, especially for children. If you're feeding children with tofu and you want to increase their calcium content, um, that's important. But soy comes in many shapes and forms. It's not just tofu. You, know, you can get the original bean, you can get milks, yogurts. It's often fermented. You can get tempeh. There's... A whole host of benefits to soy. I'm a bit passionate about it. I did a whole episode on my podcast feed for thought on soy. The right question for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Because I, I think it's had a bad, like you said, we've got to dispel these myths. I hope I'm I'm helping there because it really is terrible, the myths out there. And it's actually a very nutritious source of food. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. That was also my personal belief, but it's really great to hear you say that. I think um, I could have gone on forever, but the the component in soy is something called an isoflavone. And those are naturally found in soybeans and foods, but they're uniquely kind of rich in other sources as well. So you get omega-3s as well in soy products. And we know that when you're studying people, I think it's often over in Japan, a lot of the research that's done on how long they live and the... um, 
hormonal fluctuations as women age as well, that because they have a lot more of the soy in these isoflavones, it's beneficial to us. And I think a lot of the myths developed because people thought that the plant-based um, form of uh, kind of estrogen, these isoflavones, replicated what the female hormones do in the body, but that's just not true. You can't compare a plant form to a human form. So it's a lot of misconceptions and it's wonderful to include in your diet. Just make sure it's fortified, like I said, and especially yeah. in plant milks, make sure you're getting fortification. Again, it's a really interesting example of, of how the media can sort of jump on something and then just, you know, turn it into this huge myth that then is just, just everyone believes. All it takes is one rogue study or one cherry-picked piece of data. Yep. And then you've it's almost the same as um, certain vaccination headlines you know that make it in newspapers uh the same as i know what perhaps one food item got recalled back to the manufacturers because it contains something by accident and then the whole line is tarnished with it. it it's almost um all you need is yeah one headline and then that's it the rumor's out <laughs> mm. um so sustainability is quite the buzzword at the moment we we talk about this a lot and we see it everywhere at the moment. What do you see as sustainable and what do you think about the whole new buzzword? Because it used to be vegan and then it was something else. But sustainability, regenerative farming, those are definitely the, the buzzwords of, of now, I think. I guess, again, this isn't really my area as a nutritionist and I wouldn't want to give any information that isn't completely correct I can only give opinion here not fact so I guess my, my opinion on it would be that it's incredibly important that we start to act well we should have acted a long time ago in my, in my opinion we know that food is one of the largest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions we, we know that we need to be careful with the agricultural system that we have in place um for instance one argument with soy um that we just spoke about is that oh doesn't soy take up a lot of the rainforest well actually 75 percent of soy production goes to feed animals so mm. you've got the fact that we're using a lot of resources to then rear and consume animal produce so if we were to switch to a plant-based lifestyle we would be doing less of that which is a good start I mean, sustainability covers a whole host of areas from use of plastic, reusable shopping bags. It covers a way of life that I don't think people are used to in Western society. It's a complete makeover of your your heating system in your house, of your, um, yeah, the ingredients you choose to shop. Do you get plastic packaging on your produce? For instance, mm. in a supermarket, you can buy loose fruit and veg. That's a no-brainer to me. Why get, a, why get three peppers in a plastic bag that's not recyclable when you can just get three loose peppers it, it there's a complete mindset shift absolutely this is my opinion just stating as well that it's definitely an opinion <laughs> from a nutritional point of view i've been reading a lot about this and, and talking about uh, regenerative farming and and soil health do you know anything about that in terms of how nutritious our food is if it's grown through a regenerative farm the nutrients have decreased in some of our foods because they're picked out of season or they're flown over. What's your thoughts on that? You're completely right. Um, the nutrient profile isn't as big as you'd think. So there isn't actually that much of a difference um, in terms of keeping our population healthy. You know, if all you can afford is something 
perhaps in the shop shelves you see that day that's flown over from I don't know blueberries that have come over from Norway there's a lot we can do there by eating seasonally we would be reducing our um, carbon footprint and make making a huge dent but the, I think there's a big big problem here before we even get into looking at that the fact that this is a privileged conversation as well yes because I, I feel health there's a big discrepancy nutritional health is socioeconomic whether we like it or not and mm -hmm. I don't feel that a lot of people are in a position where they have a choice and they're not educated in it and they don't know and they may not have the means to live a certain way mm. they don't know that blueberries have come from Norway because they don't know to read the pack they don't know they can get them frozen and they actually contain more nutrition when they're frozen yeah yeah so it, it's a really really hard conversation in terms of public health nutrition to be having because I feel passionately that if we all ate seasonally and we could use our freezers wisely and reduce waste but in terms of keeping our nation healthy and getting those vital vitamins and minerals into perhaps a child that's born into poverty, you know, it's, it's a very difficult conversation. It's, yeah. it's um, a hard ethical one, very hard. Oh, well, I think you answered it really well. Honestly, it, it, it is such a huge topic, isn't it? You could probably be discussing it, you know, indefinitely. But I'm just, I'm just going to move on to something that's a little bit more lighthearted, but completely <laughs> <laughs> fascinating to me personally. Yes. Um, so, Rhiannon, what do you eat in a day? What's your like? What is your like? I don't know. Maybe it's different every day. Is it? Is it similar every day? Just give us an idea of what you would typically eat. Okay, so this is a question that I have out of principle refused to kind of I've never done a what I eat in a day video I, oh, I feel yeah you can refuse it's no problem no I can give you kind of a brief overview that no day is ever exactly the same and I'm like everyone else I get stuck in a rut where I end up having the same meals if, you know the same day day in day in day out every single day because that's what happens when life is busy yeah but the reason I don't do those videos is because I, I feel I'm in a position of responsibility as a nutritionist and I worry that because people think that's what a nutritionist eats, that's the right thing to eat. Sure. And I think I think they're fine for some people, but I think they're also they, there's also a damaging element to them ever so slightly. But my favourite thing would definitely be a tray bake because it's quick, it's easy, and gosh, I don't have to do anything but chop some veg and shove it in the oven. Love it. <laughs> All over the tray bake. And that's about as far as it goes. Love a tray bake. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier writing cookbooks you've got a clinic um what lies ahead and what's in the future now that things have opened up and what are you working on oh gosh yeah I mean I am well I'm very very fortunate to be working on a few books at the moment and just to add when you said cookbooks before it's interesting because even though I'm a nutritionist I wouldn't say I'm a superb cook I I'm definitely not a chef, which people get very confused between cook and chef all the time. I know for you ladies, you must be like, what? I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely not a superb cook, but I do love experimenting with something that's really easy. That that would be the main thing. But it's it's writing a lot. Um, there's a new launch coming up um, on a side business. And my days are filled with recording the Food for Thought podcast and running my, my, my clinic. I mean, I'm mentoring a few nutritionists at the moment, helping them grow and Running the business, um, there's a lot of administration behind the scenes. So, of course. Yeah, projects in the future I can't really explain too much about, but I feel very fortunate and I'll be letting you both know the minute I can. Yes. But there's a lot going on. I'm sure you've got more than enough on your plate anyway. <laughs> there's quite a lot going on. I, I chuckle <laughs> because I, I used to think that 
you know, I didn't have any time before I had a baby. And now suddenly I have a child. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, here I go. And it's just like a different, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. A whole new level of busy. It's a whole new level. But um, I wouldn't change it. Um, yeah, lots going on. Okay, last but not least, uh, this is a question we ask all of our guests. So what would you say, if you can think of anything, have you had a piece or a best bit of advice that anyone has given you? There's there's two things I think that have always stuck with me. And the first would be something I never met my grandfather. So he died when I was a baby. So I'd just been born. And I've always kind of believed um, the philosophical kind of side of me that he's he's like my guardian angel and he kind of guides me in life. And he told my dad that you should always treat people how you would like to be treated in return. And that stuck with me. But there's also an element to his kind of life and my dad that you have to kind of put the hard work in. No one else is going to do it for you. And I'm a big believer that if you want to achieve something or do something, there are no shortcuts. You you have to graft. You have to do it. And you will be rewarded for that later on. And you'll be able to look back and be really proud of yourself. So I don't know if that came out in the way I wanted it to, but that they would be the kind of tips I would give is that the work has to come from you and life is so much better if you treat others nicely yeah words to live by I think definitely I think so too I think those are two golden nuggets of advice um <laughs> last but not least we're going to do some quick fire questions don't worry <laughs> don't worry they're nice um and I'll I'll kick it off with white milk or dark chocolate white yes i love it i love white <laughs> chocolate <is>. too yeah. <laughs> um, crisps or chocolate chocolate butter or olive oil oh olive oil avocado or mango 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 mm -hmm. ketchup or mayo oh definitely mayo i can't stand ketchup i'm an odd bod <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, i'm not keen either only good as an ingredient i think yeah um cake or pie oh cake this is a hard one. French fry or cheese toasty? No, you see, for me, cheese toasty. <laughs> not even, not even for me hard. I'm really bizarre. I never loved French fries and I never loved ketchup. And that's probably why cheese is just a winner. But, but me too. I'm, I don't, I don't like them either at all. <laughs> you can have a no French fry club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the fuss? I just don't get it. And the, the, honestly, I think they're all the same flavour. They're just bland. Yeah. I just don't understand it at all. No, you dip a French fry in some mayo, guys. No. You've, you've not lived. No. 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 <laughs> We'd be the only people in our club, wouldn't we, to be fair? I mean, <laughs> we're not going to be a very big club. <laughs> okay, so finally, chocolate truffles or chocolate mousse? Oh, I love a chocolate truffle. Mm. Yeah, it's got, it's, got, it's got to be a truffle. Although I do love a white chocolate mousse, like a homemade white chocolate mousse. That is pure indulgence. But I'd have to pick chocolate truffle. I'm with you there as well. Nice. Because the white chocolate thing, people don't think it's chocolate, do they? I mean, I get it. It's just sugar, but it just tastes so good. I totally agree with you on that. It's, That's so, it's very comforting, isn't it? It is. Like childhood memories. A hundred percent. Love it. Thank you very much for listening to What the Focaccia. I hope you've enjoyed our food conversations and please do have a listen to the rest of the episodes to hear more brilliant stories about everything and anything to do with food. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, Islands Chocolates, who grow their own cocoa directly from seed on their farm in the Caribbean. And if you like hot chocolate, you'll find their proper hot chocolate in any Gales Bakery, where you can actually choose between 65 and 75% cocoa 
and have a Gail's Barista make a creamy high flavour hot chocolate for you. Don't forget that you can get 15% off anything you order from their website, which is islandschocolate.com. Just use the code islandswtf, that's islandswtf at the checkout. And please do give us a five star rating if you've enjoyed the podcast. It really does help spread the word. And if you want to follow Bettina and myself, you'll find us on Instagram. Thanks for listening and we'll be back soon. Bye.